This episode features a mention of suicide that some people may find disturbing. We advise caution for listeners under 13. November 29, 1981. It was a cold, dreary morning on Catalina Island. The popular beach getaway was uncharacteristically somber. A search party combed the shores for a woman who'd gone missing the night before, world-famous actress Natalie Wood. Her distressed husband had called the authorities at 1.30 in the morning. He'd told the police that his wife had vanished from their yacht. Several harbor patrol and coast guard boats scoured the waters. At 7.30 a.m., the search party spotted a body floating in the water. She was face down in a simple flannel nightgown, a red down jacket, and knit socks. Authorities pronounced her dead at the scene. At the time, her death was deemed an accidental drowning. But the police came to that conclusion after ignoring witness statements that didn't fit the official narrative. And some of Natalie's companions gave contradictory accounts of how she spent her final hours suggesting they may have been lying to hide a more sinister truth, that Natalie might have been murdered. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the mysterious death of the legendary actress Natalie Wood. The Hollywood darling died under suspicious circumstances. Perhaps she was murdered. This time, we'll cover Natalie's final days. We'll meet the people who were on the boat with her, including her husband and person of interest, Robert Wagner. Next episode, we'll investigate who could be responsible for Natalie's death. We'll discuss the conflicting eyewitness statements to try to determine who was telling the truth. And we'll examine why some people may have wanted to cover up the true story of Natalie's demise. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush. 
which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Years before Natalie Wood was born, her mother, Maria Zudolova, went to see a fortune teller. During their session, she received an eerie warning. The fortune teller said that her second-born would be a great beauty known throughout the world. Later in the same session, the clairvoyant cautioned that the girl should beware of dark water. The first part of the prediction seemed to come true when Natalie was born on July 20, 1938, in San Francisco, California. Her mother pushed her into an early career as an actor. Natalie was only four years old when she appeared in the movie Happy Land, but she captured the nation's heart with her big brown eyes and expressive charm. Her star rose as she entered adulthood. Throughout her career, she was nominated for three Academy Awards and appeared in classic films like Rebel Without a Cause, West Side Story, and Splendor in the Grass. Along the way, her mother Maria heeded the fortune teller's warning against dark water. She instilled her fears in Natalie, telling her to avoid swimming and other aquatic activities. Unfortunately, she couldn't keep her daughter away from the water forever. On Thanksgiving weekend in 1981, 43-year-old Natalie set sail for Catalina Island on the yacht The Splendor. She had three companions for the trip, her husband Robert Wagner, her friend and co-star Christopher Walken, and the boat's captain, Dennis Deverne. The vacation was adult-themed, with plenty of drinking and partying. Thus, Natalie and Robert left their children at home. It seemed like the perfect romantic getaway, but it didn't take long for the trip to descend into chaos. Natalie and Robert argued constantly for two days straight. Robert was angry that Natalie worked so much, and he thought she was away from her kids too often. This wasn't the only source of tension. According to witnesses, Natalie and Christopher seemed overly comfortable around one another and exchanged easy banter. Reportedly, Robert accused Natalie of flirting with him. Close quarters and bad weather didn't make the situation any better. That weekend was cold and rainy. The Wagners moored their boat a quarter mile off the shores of Catalina Island. Robert suggested they move closer to shore But Natalie was concerned that it wasn't safe to sail in these choppy conditions. They argued about safety. Finally, Robert said that if she was so scared, she should take the dinghy to shore and spend the night at a hotel. Natalie took him up on the offer, bringing their captain, Dennis Deverne, for the night. She was still afraid of water and refused to pilot the dinghy by herself. Despite the stormy swells, Natalie and Dennis made it to shore safely. They had drinks, then booked two rooms at the Pavilion Lodge. After all the tension of the day, Natalie considered cutting her trip short and heading straight back to Los Angeles. But she decided to wait and see if her dynamic with Robert improved the next day. The following morning, Natalie and Dennis returned to the Splendor. As she'd hoped, Robert was in a much better mood, and they continued the trip in high spirits. 
The party spent the day reading, eating, and drinking. At least until that afternoon. Robert took a nap, and when he woke up, Natalie and Christopher were gone. They'd left a note saying they were going back to shore for a few drinks. According to Dennis, Robert's jealousy returned instantly. The two rushed back to shore, where they found the missing pair at a nautical-themed restaurant called Doug's Harbor Reef. They were already several drinks deep, laughing and having a great time. Robert and Dennis joined them, but Robert was still fuming. It's unclear if everyone else picked up on the tension. The entire party was sloshed. By the time they went out to dinner at 7 p.m., even casual bystanders could tell that the four were inebriated and that Robert was irritated with Natalie. Multiple witnesses noted that Natalie seemed to be in good spirits at the start of the meal, but she'd shift from joy to brooding anger from one moment to the next. Likewise, Robert was clearly jealous of the attention Christopher paid to his wife. Their table was so difficult, their waitress had to ask for backup. Both servers later admitted they were unsettled by their guests' behavior. At one point, the party bickered and someone threw a glass. Christopher later told police that he broke it as a joke. Maybe he mistakenly thought this would cut the tension. Other witnesses reported a different story, that Natalie allegedly threw it in anger. After three tense hours, the group left around 10 p.m. The restaurant manager was so concerned about their inebriety that he called the harbor patrol to make sure they got back to their boat safely. A patrolman dutifully watched the quartet board the dinghy back to their boat. He heard Natalie yelling, but couldn't tell what she was upset about. When the four arrived at the Splendor, they retired to the main salon, where they opened another bottle of wine. At this point, the tensions boiled over. Reports about the dispute differ, but Christopher, Robert, and Dennis all agreed that some kind of argument took place. According to Christopher Walken, he used this opportunity to smooth things over with Robert. He insisted that there was nothing going on between him and Natalie, and he reminded Robert that he had a wife of his own. But when Robert mentioned that he was frustrated with Natalie's busy schedule, Christopher couldn't help but defend her. He said, quote, she was an actress. She was an important person. This was her life. His quick defense of his friend didn't dispel Robert's jealousy. Christopher realized that this conversation wasn't helping anything, so he stepped outside to get some fresh air. While he was away, Robert and Natalie allegedly spoke to one another more calmly. He told Natalie that he missed her, and she went to bed. At least, that's one version of events. According to Captain Dennis DeVerne, the conversation between Robert and Christopher turned violent. He said that Robert smashed the wine bottle and asked Christopher if he was trying to sleep with his wife. Then Natalie said, I'm not standing for this a minute longer. That's what prompted her to go to bed. Whichever account was correct, after Natalie went to her room, Robert and Christopher chatted outside for about 45 minutes. Afterward, Robert went back down to the stateroom to check on his wife, but she wasn't there. He searched the entire boat, but there was no sign of Natalie. It was like she'd vanished from the splendor. Coming up, 
A Desperate Search for the Missing Actress Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. In films like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're portrayed as swaggering anti-heroes. In books like Treasure Island, they're fearsome villains. But who were they really? That's the question that Real Pirates, the new Spotify original from Parcast, answers. The whole thing about a pirate ship is that they were heavily manned. But you could have 100 pirates on board, so these are floating violence factories. At the same time, pirates were really fascinating characters, in a way. If you were born poor, you stayed poor. Pirates, on the other hand, they were able to transcend that social boundary. They didn't see themselves just as thieves and brigands, they saw themselves as social revolutionaries. Set sail under the black flag, alongside notorious outlaws like Blackbeard, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting November 15th. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, back to the story. The week of Thanksgiving 1981, actress Natalie Wood took a yacht trip with her husband, Robert Wagner, and her friend, Christopher Walken. The journey was tense, with numerous public fights. The final one culminated when she went missing around 11 p.m. on November 28th. Given how fiercely the couple had fought, naturally some people suspected Robert had something to do with Natalie's disappearance. But to fully understand their dynamic, we have to look at the couple's history. Natalie had her first date with Robert in the summer of 1956. She was only 18 years old, while Robert was 26. At the time, her career was on the upswing, following her hit movie, Rebel Without a Cause. Robert was an actor, too. He could portray anyone from a leading man to a supporting comedian. Natalie had always had a crush on Robert thanks to his charisma on screen. She was excited that the dashing star was interested in her. But the couple weren't monogamous. Natalie dated several men simultaneously, a continuation of her mother's Hollywood ambitions. Maria had always kept a tight leash on Natalie, but her protective instincts warred with her desire to make her daughter a star. She regularly set Natalie up with much older Hollywood moguls to forward her career. For example, when Natalie was 16, she was involved with a 44-year-old director named Nicholas Ray. So it should come as no surprise that Natalie was juggling two other boyfriends when she started seeing Robert. They were all aware of the situation, as were the tabloids. The press coverage threatened Natalie's reputation, 
So Maria and Natalie's bosses all pressured her to settle on just one man. Natalie chose Robert. After a year and a half of dating, they were married in Scottsdale, Arizona in the winter of 1957. Ironically, they spent part of their honeymoon on a yacht in Catalina Island, the same place where Natalie would eventually go missing. Natalie and Robert were Hollywood royalty, like the Brad and Angelina of the 50s. The marriage boosted both of their careers, and they frequently appeared together at parties and red carpet events. The world saw them as a super couple who could tackle the world together. But behind the scenes, their relationship was more complicated. Natalie harbored doubts about everything, her career, her marriage, and her relationship with her mother. She'd been through a lot at a very young age, and all the changes sent her spiraling. It didn't help that Robert was jealous and possessive even before Christopher Walken came onto the scene. Natalie co-starred in Splendor in the Grass with Warren Beatty, and Robert couldn't stand him. After a short separation, Natalie and Robert divorced in 1962. Over the course of the next decade, the couple lived separate lives. Robert moved to Europe, where he remarried and had a daughter. Meanwhile, Natalie struggled with her mental health and attempted suicide multiple times. She saw a psychiatrist and attended sessions every day. Eventually, she was in a good enough place to marry her second husband, Richard Gregson. They had one daughter together. However, neither marriage was built to last. Robert was divorced in 1971, and Natalie was divorced in 1972. By then, the former spouses had reconnected at a party. They both realized they still had feelings for each other and rekindled their decades-old romance. To the delight of the public, Natalie and Robert remarried in July 1972. The couple said they'd matured in their time apart, which allowed them to be better partners the second time around. For several years, their union seemed to be a happy one. They blended their families, bringing in the children and stepchildren from their previous marriages. Then, they welcomed a baby of their own in 1974. They also bought a yacht named Splendor and frequently took their family and friends out on ocean excursions. Catalina Island was a favorite destination. Natalie was still afraid of dark water, and she avoided activities like swimming or jet skiing. But she loved traveling by boat, so long as she didn't leave the sturdy decks. But their marriage wasn't all romantic getaways on the yacht. As time went on, Natalie and Robert encountered marital trouble. In their last couple of years together, Natalie confided in her friends that Robert was drinking a lot. On top of that, he didn't support her career aspirations and made it clear that he didn't like how much time she spent out of the house. They agreed to coordinate their shoot dates so that one of them would always be at home with the kids. But their busy schedules led to frequent arguments about how they split their parenting duties. When Natalie landed a role alongside Christopher Walken in the sci-fi movie Brainstorm, she had to temporarily move to North Carolina. To make matters worse, her friendship with Christopher was electric. Many crew members assumed that the stars were having an affair. When Robert periodically visited the set, Natalie assured him that nothing was going on. That seemed to placate Robert, 
for the time being. That Thanksgiving, Natalie and Robert planned to invite several friends on their yacht trip. Everyone declined because of the bad weather, except for Christopher. Natalie had to know this was a recipe for conflict, but she proceeded with the journey anyway. She thought this was a good opportunity to prove to Robert that her friendship with Christopher was purely platonic. Instead, the couple fought constantly right until November 28, 1981. That night, Natalie disappeared from the splendor between 10.45 p.m. and midnight. Sometime within that window, Robert went down to the stateroom to check on Natalie and discovered that she was gone. After he told Captain Dennis DeVerne that she was missing, they searched every nook and cranny of the boat. That's when they realized that the dinghy was also unaccounted for. Robert concluded that Natalie had taken it back to shore in the middle of the night. But then, for reasons that aren't clear, he did nothing. An hour and a half passed until Robert placed a call to shore at 1.30 a.m. He couldn't reach Harbor Patrol, but managed to use the boat's radio to contact Don Whiting, the manager of Doug's Harbor Reef. Whiting thought Robert sounded intoxicated. He was also confused by Robert's theory. Doug's Harbor Reef was long closed, and he knew that Natalie was afraid of operating the dinghy alone. She certainly wouldn't do so in the middle of the night, especially when the sea was so turbulent. Whiting offered to call the Coast Guard, but Robert refused. He didn't want the paparazzi to catch wind of the situation. Instead, around 2 a.m., Whiting arranged for someone to take Robert to shore. They searched for Natalie in the dinghy. Unsuccessful, they finally contacted the local harbormaster, Doug Odin, at 2.30. At least two and a half hours had passed since Natalie's disappearance, and Robert still hadn't sobered up. He and Dennis were so drunk, Odin and the others could barely understand what they were saying. Odin assembled a search party of about five boats. Volunteers and local patrol officers manned the crafts. They scoured the waves for about another hour. At 3.30 a.m., Odin told Robert that he had no choice He had to call the Coast Guard. But once again, the search party hit a delay. The Coast Guard wasn't able to respond until almost 5.15 a.m. when a sheriff's deputy, Bill Kroll, arrived on the scene. He was accompanied by a couple divers who were prepared to search for a body in the waters beneath the splendor. Kroll interviewed Robert and Dennis on the boat. By now... Christopher was awake and just learning of Natalie's disappearance. As everyone clambered for information about her, Robert stuck to the same story he'd been telling all night, that she must have taken the dinghy to shore. He still couldn't account for what had happened in the hour and a half between when he'd discovered she was gone and when he'd first contacted anyone on the island. This wasn't the only suspicious detail. At 5.30 a.m., searchers found the missing and empty dinghy over a mile away from the Splendor's dock. It was in a small cave near Blue Cavern Point. One of the volunteers saw scratch marks on the dinghy. He speculated that Natalie had been on the vessel, fell out, then tried to climb back in. Unfortunately, it was hard to determine much of anything else because two members of the search party rowed it back to shore, compromising the evidence. 
Assuming that Natalie had fallen from the boat, she was either dead or in desperate need of rescue. The owner of Doug's Harbor Reef restaurant, Doug Bombard, scoured the shoreline in his small boat. He hoped that Natalie had swum to shore. Maybe she was still conscious somewhere, clinging to the rocks for safety. Instead, Doug spotted Natalie's lifeless body. As he pulled closer, he saw that she was wearing a flannel nightgown and socks. Not the kind of outfit she'd put on if she was on her way back to the bar. This was suspicious. And Robert's reaction was even more dubious when Doug reported what he'd found. Robert made eye contact with Doug and then immediately looked down. Doug thought it was unclear if he was stunned with grief or hiding his guilt. Coming up, the investigation into Natalie's death. Now back to the story. Hollywood darling Natalie Wood disappeared from the splendor on November 28, 1981. Her husband and the yacht captain waited about an hour and a half before they called for help. By the time the search parties went looking for her, it was too late. Once Natalie's body was found, Detective Dwayne Rasher of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department investigated her death. The conflicting statements that Robert Wagner, Dennis DeVerne, and Christopher Walken gave him only complicated the matter. Detective Rasher spoke to Robert and Christopher first. Dennis wasn't available because Robert had sent him to identify Natalie's body at the county coroner's office. It's unclear why Robert sent a boat captain to view his wife's remains. Maybe he didn't think he could handle the stress of the situation. The detective's first interview only lasted about six minutes because Robert was so emotional. But he repeated the same story he told Whiting the night before, that he assumed Natalie had taken the dinghy to shore. Christopher gave similar information. He also mentioned his argument with Robert from the night before and how it had apparently upset Natalie. When Rasher interviewed Dennis, he questioned the captain a bit longer than the two actors. Curiously, he didn't mention the fact that he'd gone to the hotel with Natalie two nights prior to her death. In fact, none of the witnesses thought to bring it up. Eventually, the detective learned of that incident while he was building a timeline of the weekend. He arranged follow-up interviews with Robert and Dennis, who both corrected their stories. It's possible they initially chose not to share that information because they didn't think it was relevant. Or maybe they were afraid the liaison would look suspicious. When Detective Rasher tried to interview Robert again, he encountered pushback. Robert had retained a lawyer who claimed he didn't understand why the detective needed more information. With the sheriff's help, Rasher eventually secured another interview with Robert. But the lawyer was present, advising Robert on what to say. Robert still maintained that Natalie must have tried to take the dinghy out alone. He argued she could have easily fallen off into the turbulent waves. Later, Christopher and Dennis corroborated that story when Rasher spoke with them. And Detective Rasher was convinced. He later publicly said he believed that Natalie's death was an accident. But to reach this conclusion, he had to ignore testimony from a pair of witnesses, Marilyn Wayne and John Payne. 
Marilyn and John were engaged and enjoying a getaway on a boat docked near the Splendor. Shortly after 11 p.m. on the night that Natalie drowned, they claimed to hear a woman splashing in the water, screaming for help. Then they said they heard a man's voice say, Don't worry, we'll come to get you. To John and Marilyn, the man sounded drunk, and he seemed to be mocking the frightened woman. Afterward, they claimed to hear other male voices make similar comments about coming to get the woman, but she kept crying out. Clearly, she hadn't been rescued yet. At this point, the couple decided that they had to get involved. John called out to the distressed woman while Marilyn radioed the harbormaster. When they didn't answer, she tried to contact Avalon on the other side of the island. They told her they'd send a helicopter over. Meanwhile, John tried to steer their boat towards the woman's screams, but it was dark and cold, and she sounded like she was far away. He knew it would be dangerous to try to save her in these conditions. After 15 minutes or so, the helicopter still hadn't arrived, and the woman's screaming had stopped. Horrified, the couple barely slept all night. The next day, they learned that Natalie Wood had drowned near Catalina Island. John and Marilyn assumed that the actress must have been the woman crying for help the night before. But when they reached out to Detective Raysher with their story, he was skeptical. He accused them of making it all up. According to Raysher, they were opportunists trying to insert themselves into this tragedy for publicity. When they realized the detective had no interest in their account, they shared their information with the case's coroner, Dr. Thomas Noguchi. When Noguchi performed an autopsy, he confirmed that she had drowned, but she had marks on her body that suggested there was more to the story. She had an abrasion across her left cheek and multiple bruises on her wrists, arms, and legs. This led Dr. Noguchi to believe that she'd been in the water for a while before she died of hypothermia. If Natalie had taken the dinghy, she could have fallen off and tried to get back on. This would explain the abrasion and bruises. Or perhaps she'd fallen off the splendor and scratched her cheek while going down. But Natalie's fear of the water was becoming common knowledge. Dr. Noguchi found it strange that she'd take the dinghy, especially alone in the middle of the night. He pushed for a psychological autopsy in which researchers review the deceased's psychiatric records and interview their friends and families. The tool can help a medical examiner determine a person's state of mind in the days and weeks prior to their death. These processes could help Noguchi determine whether Natalie had left the boat voluntarily or if she'd been pushed. But he never had the chance to explore the procedure. Dr. Noguchi was thwarted by an unlikely figure, the world-famous singer Frank Sinatra. Sinatra had been a longtime friend to Robert, and he was disgusted by the way Dr. Noguchi behaved during a press conference soon after her death. During the conference, Noguchi revealed that Natalie's blood alcohol level was 0.14%, the equivalent of seven to eight glasses of wine. His office also leaked details about the argument between Robert and Christopher. Gossip magazines pushed stories about Natalie's drunkenness and implied that Robert was responsible for her death. Enraged, Sinatra wrote a letter urging the Board of Supervisors to demote Noguchi. He quipped, quote, 
Coroners should be seen, not heard. The board granted Sinatra's request and removed Dr. Noguchi from the case. He never got his psychological autopsy, and Natalie's death was later ruled an accidental drowning. The case was closed. With that, Natalie was buried on December 2nd, 1981. Family, friends, and entertainment industry professionals attended her funeral. Her death at age 43 was nothing short of a tragedy. Naturally, her demise was a major news story, and the gossip columns covered it for months. And as it turned out, the police weren't done with her yet either. In November 2011, around the 30th anniversary of Natalie Wood's death, Dennis Deverne appeared on NBC News and revealed that he hadn't been completely honest with the police in 1981. He actually believed that Robert's last fight with Natalie led to her death. A few hours later, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department reopened her case. They would later amend Natalie's official cause of death to drowning and other undetermined factors. The police didn't name Robert Wagner as a suspect in 2011, but he was listed as a person of interest. Investigators said he was the only person who knew what had happened to her, since Christopher and Dennis were both in their rooms when she disappeared. After the case was reopened, Robert refused to let the police interview him on more than 10 separate occasions. His lawyers insisted that Robert had already told them everything he knew. But Natalie's family and friends weren't convinced of Robert's innocence. Her younger sister Lana and her mother Maria have both insinuated that Robert knows what really happened to her. The implications suggested a troubling possibility that Robert Wagner got away with murder. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with Part 2 on Natalie Wood's Mysterious Death. For more information on Natalie Wood, amongst the many sources we used, we found Suzanne Finstad's book, Natalie Wood, The Complete Biography, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Lena Olson, with writing assistance by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Kara Makerleen, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie. Who were they really? Real Pirates is a new Spotify original from Parcast. Join us starting November 15th as we bring the true story of pirates to life.